You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online Today we want to at mulvanechurch.com. And begin sermons. with a little gospel picture, a little, little scene for us from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to begin in Matthew 9. We're going to read verses 35 down to verse 38. We'll read the end of the scene toward the end of the lesson. But we'll start with this. Matthew 9, 35, beginning to read. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so this is a little gospel scene that is evidently repeated, takeaways the same, from place to place and city after city and village after village. And we think about the importance of these little gospel scenes to us, these little pieces of the gospel. Of course, you put them all together, they're the entirety of the gospel. But uh, this morning, uh, when we sang the hymn before Bible class, we sang uh, the song, Love Lifted Me. And it was said as if, uh, we were Peter out there on the water with Jesus, and then we started sinking. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, right? And the imagery is of Peter walking on the water, beginning to sink, and what saves him? The love of Jesus lifts him up. And then, just a moment ago, uh, we sang, uh, O Come All Ye Faithful, which normally is reserved uh, for a, as a Christmas hymn, uh, but if you look and see, uh, when that hymn was written, it's back when Protestants didn't do Christmas. <laughs> so it was not written as a Christmas hymn. But it sort of puts us and asks us to be in the place of those faithful shepherds who got the call to go into Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, into Bethlehem, go into Bethlehem and see uh, the, where the Christ child uh, had been born and was laid, right? And so we go with the faithful, joyful and triumphant, to go see the one will be the redemption of Israel. So from these little scenes, which we sing about, and today we're going to preach about, from these things revealed in the Gospels, we see pictures of Jesus, his condescension to come down to us in humility, his love for us, and hear his compassion as he was going place to place. And as he went place to place, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and when we would do that, we would say, you know, somebody was doing that, they were preaching Christ. He's preaching about him, uh, how uh, the kingdom of God has come. He's the Messiah, bringing it to them. Uh, we concentrate on Jesus, but we note that Jesus, as he's doing this, he is concentrating on them because he sees the people in place after place. He sees them distressed, and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. 
Now, I know about the nativity scene. You can buy your little nativity scene sets, right, and set them up. And do I, I kind of wish we had, like, little scenes for all of these. And now, some of these, we could use the characters in a number of things. Uh, you think about the, the people in all these synagogues. We could use those people in a lot of things. We could use them for the Sermon on the Mount. We could use them for this and use them for that. But in this case, we kind of need to collect up the characters that, that kind of have a, a hound dog look. We need to collect up the characters, uh, some of whom are crying and sad. We need to collect up the characters to build up our scene who, are, who have their heads hanging low. Because this, in not just one place, but over and over in mass, are sheep who are distressed and downcast, as it says, because they don't have a shepherd. In place after place where Jesus went, this was not a unique situation. But this was the regular situation among the people in synagogue after synagogue, distressed and downcast. And we think, well, why would these people be so? Why would, why would they be such? Because have you ever known of a society uh, that would compare to New Testament gospel society in knowledge of the book of God? You know, there have been a few places, especially uh, uh, after the Protestant Reformation and the outburst uh, of reform uh, that, that came with that. And over the years, there's been a few occasions uh, where there has been a widespread knowledge of God's word and where it's just, it's part, you know, just common everyday conversation where people would go from here and there. People would go to, you know, the, the barber, or people would go to the butcher, or people would go to the candlestick maker, wherever they'd go. And, and all of those people would have some knowledge of the gospel. And all of those people would talk about the gospel. And, and there's been a few places and times where there have been such outbreaks of, of uh, concern and Bible knowledge, and uh, maybe in some times we call it a revival, uh, here or there in a various community or in a nation. But did any ever approach the knowledge, the, the up and down knowledge, person after person, person on the street knowledge of the word of God beyond New Testament synagogue-based Judaism? And yet, with all that knowledge, what was missing? Shepherds. Shepherds who would guide them. And so we need, in this world we find, we need one to direct us in the ways of God. Now, Christ will be the chief shepherd, and Christ is going to help with that tremendously. And for those who received him as the Messiah, you come back to these same synagogues and these same cities and same villages three and four and five and ten years later, are you going to find the people distressed and downcast? We certainly pray not. But then as the knowledge of the word of God wanes, what's going to return? That same situation, as Foster, in his great commentary on the life of Christ, said about the condition of the people, he said these words, distressed and downcast, vividly picture sheep being driven in terror, falling exhausted and helpless, torn and mangled by wild beasts that were chasing and devouring them. And I have to say, so much of the religious world, the people who today would pour out of the equivalent of these synagogues. I'm not talking about synagogues now, I'm talking about all kinds 
of churches and spiritual outfits that people have followed, but what do they do when they come out of them? Are they still not exhausted, helpless, torn, and mangled? Because they don't know Christ. And so Jesus says, he says, pray then that the Lord will send forth workers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So in this occasion, we're rounding up these strays and rounding up these exhausted groups and offering them hope and, and telling them this is the way of God. And they'll find out as Jesus in his ministry, is, uh, he'll, he's the Messiah, they'll find out that this is done through the grace that's in Jesus Christ. They should just be able to bring them in, uh, you know, as it were, by the truckload. They should bring in the sheaves by the armful because here is Jesus and here are those that he is praying will go out and help. And so let's think first why it was that these folks in these synagogues, in city after city and village after village, so big town, small town, big, big synagogue, small synagogue, why is it that there was such a failure? Do we see that replicated today? And if so, how? And if we can avoid it and find a solution, what would? What would that look like? Well, what we find is the failed shepherds in this last stages of the Old Testament is very much like the failure of the shepherds at prior stages in the Old Testament, right? And so the new covenant is being announced, the law and the gospel proclaimed until John, but now everybody's beating their way into it, Jesus would say. Well, yeah, coming from that to this, <laughs> let's get over there with all we can. But these shepherds, were yet again failing them as they had in the past. In Jeremiah 23, and there's a whole bunch of Jeremiah passages about failed shepherds. We'll just pick one as a representative, but we could also turn to Jeremiah 10, 12, 22, 25, or 50. Repeated uh, condemnations, repeated indictments of the shepherds. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds! who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Jehovah. Therefore, thus says Jehovah, God of Israel, concerning these shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. All right, I'm going to attend. You're not attending, I'll attend. Sort of like that... uh, I told you about my friend telling me about the scariest song in the hymnal. God will take care of you. It's supposed to be a song of great comfort. God will take care of you. But if you don't come to his comfort, what is the promise of God to take care of you? Scariest thing there is. Well, God says, you're not tending to my flock. I'll attend to you, buddy. Ezekiel 34. When they went to captivity. Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flock? Guys, you were given a job. Feed the flock. In Jeremiah 23, attend to the flock. And you're tending to yourself. Remember a few years ago, they had this 
uh, horrific uh, Senate uh, uh, investigation. It was all it was all public and on TV. Hold on, I, I realize that doesn't narrow it down much. It was one of these horrific Senate investigations of televangelists, and they asked those guys to account for the fact that they all of them had nicer private planes than the senators. And I got to tell you, that's saying something these days, isn't it? And they asked these guys, how is it you, your ministries have these millions of dollars of which the main beneficiary seems to be you and your family? How is that the main beneficiary of your ministry? How is it that you dress this way and, and drive yourself in this way and transport yourself around this way and live in this way? How is it that you do that? Why should we let you guys be tax deductible? And none of those guys who were fleecing the flock had any good answer. But, you know, when the U.S. Senate thinks you're grafting too hard, you might be grafting a little hard. And so these, these top-end televangelists were, but not just them, but others who live well on the back of the flock. And so they don't attend to the flock. They don't feed the flock. They attend to themselves, and they feed themselves. Or Zechariah 11, verse 17 after the captivity, woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. And isn't that part of the story in John 10 of the good shepherd, right? The hireling does what? When the, when the beast comes, he leaves because he says, I'm not getting paid for that. But when the beast comes to threaten the flock, what does the shepherd who loves the sheep do? He stays and protects them, even at his own cost. And so there were failed shepherds who didn't attend, who didn't feed, who didn't stay with the flock. And if we go and we re, re, uh, reveal or refer to uh, the gospel times, and we just think about all the different kinds of religious leaders that were in that community, how many different kinds of leaders were there? I mean, again, you get out your... Uh, Gospel playtime sets or gospel window sets, not of the nativity, but of the synagogue. Hey, hey, Doug, hey, I saw you got a new character this week. He said, yeah, I got a lawyer. And I said, oh, Doug, that looks exactly like my scribe. The Chinese factory must be using the same mold. And another guy says, I, hey, I said, you've got some new Pharisees for your collection. And somebody says, no, those are Sadducees. Can't you tell by the difference of their coats? Oh, I could. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe those are, maybe those are Pharisees. But we got scribes, and we got Pharisees, and we got Sadducees, and we got priests, and we got Levites, and we got Herodians, and we got zealots, and we got synagogue officials of all different types, including the rabbis running around. And in which place did which of these multitude of religious folk prove to be good shepherds? They just didn't do it, right? And so it's sort of like you know, some of these jokes that you hear about in, in society. You know, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to go out to eat with a whole bunch of these religious leaders because who's going to be left to pick up the tab? Well, you, right? Or, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and a father walk into a bar, and somebody says, well, yeah, but who was going to pay? Because Why? These people are well-known so many times for taking care of themselves. It's not that all of them were necessarily bad people. We find some uh, who Jesus would say, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, Nicodemus, you know, he's one of them. He, he proved himself to be 
a pretty good character, and I'm quite well convinced on my own that Nicodemus uh, does become a, a Christian uh, at, at the end of the Gospels. Uh, that's my conclusion. Take your conclusion about him as you like. Gamaliel was a fellow who seemed to be uh, in, pretty, in pretty high stead. But none of these guys, none of these guys fulfill the prophecies of the great shepherds that are coming. And uh, we're going to read some of those in a moment. But these guys are what Jesus condemns in Matthew 23. You think if the leaders are like this, what were the people? Matthew 23, Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples. And he said, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but don't do like they do. Don't do it by their deeds. For they say things and don't do them. They tie up heavy loads and they lay them on other men's shoulders. They're unwilling even to move themselves, even a finger. And then it goes on, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. And we think about this in relation particularly, say, to the Apostle Paul. What's one thing the Apostle Paul was always known to do? He worked. He lifted a finger. He not lifted a finger, he lifted it both hands in day and night. And he worked. But this great plethora of religious officials in New Testament times, they are Old Testament quality bad shepherds. And it is discouraging. And it was terrifying and terrible to the people. The prophecy said, Jeremiah 3, 15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. The prophecy was, we're going to get we're going to get shepherds after the heart of God. Now, that doesn't imply perfection in any person uh, because who else, who was most famous in the whole Bible? A man after God's own heart. Well, David was. And do we know him as a perfect man? Well, we don't. But do we know him as a good man, a man who tried, a man who cared? Yes. So they are promised men after God's own heart. Again, there's not the promise of perfect shepherd. But there's the promise of good and caring shepherds. Jeremiah 23, 4. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor will they be terrified, nor will any be missing. And so, we're going to have shepherds who care for and tend to the people. And it's plural. Now, there is a promise of a great shepherd. And obviously, we understand, and we'll just cut to the chase, that Jesus is the great shepherd, right? New Testament clearly affirms that about him. And prophecy of old said that he was coming. Here would come the, the shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He'll feed them. He'll feed them himself and be their shepherd. He'll feed them himself. Uh, actually, when we come to New Testament understanding of things, that has kind of a double meaning for us, doesn't it? Because what does Jesus feed us on? Quite literally, we feed on him, right? John 6, we eat of his flesh and we drink of his blood. But this is the shepherd who is with us. This is the one who himself does it. Ezekiel 37 24, my servant David 
will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. And they will all walk in my ordinance and keep my statutes and observe them. So when my servant David is king again, he's going to be the shepherd who leads the people rightly. And as we see during the ministry of Jesus, when the people in place after place and city after city are distressed and downcast, they haven't got that shepherd yet, have they? But that shepherd had come among them. And then Matthew 2, quoting the famous passage of Micah, when the wise men come and say, we've seen the star of your king, where, where is he? And they, they say, oh, well, the, the prophecies tell us where he's going to be born. And they get out Micah 2, and they read, and this is Matthew 2, 6, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who shepherd my people. And so the ruler will be the shepherd. And so there's a great shepherd to come. We know him. Again, we mentioned a while ago the uh, teaching of the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. In another passage, he's the great shepherd. In another passage, he's the chief shepherd. And we find he is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And so we have our good and our great shepherd. There's a reason why, though it's of the Old Testament, we read so often when we need comfort, we read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And in whom do we find all of those things fulfilled? All the promises of the good shepherd of Psalm 23, we find that all fulfilled and done for us in Jesus Christ. So John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that they may hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Didn't we just read a second ago in Ezekiel about one flock and one shepherd? Here Jesus is saying, I am the one bringing that to you. Or Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the covenant, even Jesus our Lord. So the great shepherd of the sheep is the one who is risen. And so that's how we find things like in the book of Revelation. Who is the conquering hero in the book of Revelation? The lamb who was slain but also the lamb who is risen. So he was the lamb. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was slain. He was put to death for our transgression. And yet he overcame death. He, he rose again. And now he shepherds us all as the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2, 25. You were continually straying like sheep. Distressed and downcast. That's why we strayed. And when you're happy with the flock, where do you stay? Where, where do sheep prefer to stay? When there's a functioning flock, where do they stay? They stay there. When, when are they straying? When are they straying? When they become dissatisfied. When the, they don't think the flock is functioning for them. Now, sometimes that's on the flock and sometimes that's on us. But we were all straying like sheep. That's what sheep do. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Our 1 Peter 5, 4. He's the chief shepherd. And when he appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. And so, 
Here we have Jesus. We have this gospel scene. Starts off in such a pitiful way. With all these people distressed and downcast. Like sheep without a shepherd. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end like the Old Testament stories of sheep without shepherds and captivity and loss and restoration, but, but only in part and, and not of all, but enough of a remnant to begin again. But no, what we find is in this one, it's a much more hopeful end because for the first time, it seems, somebody's got a plan. Somebody's got a way to deal with this situation that this doesn't become the permanent situation of these folks, seeing the multitude, he felt compassion. So the compassion of Christ, the love of Christ, becomes the beginning of the great change. And then the plan from that is it says, having compassion for them, he said to his disciples, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, all these sheep out there ready to be gathered up. But the workers are few. Well, he's not talking about the rabbis and the Pharisees and the synagogue officials and the priests and the Levites and all of them. No, he's talking about those that are with him and with his message. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So the immediate plan was to pray. Now let me ask you, in any time when, when you're in distress or when you see others distressed and downcast and you, like Jesus, have any compassion for them, what should our first response always be? It should be prayer. How long is this prayer? How long would it take for Jesus and for those with him to beseech the Lord of harvest to send workers into the harvest? It wouldn't take long. But if you, if, you meant, if you meant it, and you did it in the Lord's will, and he's saying it's my will, he's saying pray, it, pray this, that's pretty easy to do in his will when he says to do it. If you mean that, if you care about that, and if you're doing this by his instruction, that takes almost no time. And then, what might you realize? For those who pray this, I could probably help a little. I could help a little, couldn't I? And so we start with prayer. We start with prayer. And then what we note is that Jesus then, with these that he's told to pray, he sends them to help. Here's our first helpers. Today, I guess we'd call them first responders, right? They're going to respond to this situation immediately. He summoned the 12. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And we talked on Wednesday night particularly, the last several weeks, about the place of demons and, and uh, how common they are in gospel times and what the uh, solution there was. And he gives them then the ability to cast out these demons to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And the name of the 12 apostles were these. First Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax gatherer. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and then lastly, Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. And so Jesus sends out helpers. He sends them to teach. He sends them to heal. He tells them to help these people out in all of these cities. 
He tells them in Matthew 10, if we continue on, um, uh, verse 5, now the 12 he sent out with these instructions, saying, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. So, now we're going to get to that, and I got to it pretty quickly. Don't go to the Gentiles, and don't go to the city of the Samaritans. Acts 8, they'll be there, don't worry, they're coming soon, but not just right now. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, this is the problem. We saw them first as distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And now we see another description of them as lost sheep. Distressed and downcast turns to lost pretty quickly. This is why we can't remain distressed and downcast. This is why we need to give the encouragement and give the help. So, go to the lost. So those that are lost, round them up. Those are distressed and downcast in the group. Build them up. As you go, preach. So here is the great thing that helps. It's preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we're told that's not an effective thing. Today we're told we need to take all kinds of therapy with us. All kinds of therapeutic things. And we're told we need to take all kinds of helpful ministries with us. Uh, We're supposed to take food and we're supposed to take shelter. And we're supposed to take medicine, and we're supposed to take education, and we're supposed, you know, it's like I can't tote a whole university and all of its support systems with us, but I can go preach. You go take this message, preach. Preach what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Preach to them that the kingdom is coming. Jesus would say just a couple of chapters over, the kingdom is already among you. And the kingdom would come with great power in their lifetime. It came when the church came just a few years later. They just need to hold out for that in faith in Jesus Christ. So go. And with the help I give you then, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out the demons. Freely you received. Freely give. Now they had gifts at this first teaching of the gospel to uh, confirm that word to let people know that these are the messengers of God. These are not people just making up uh, something. It's not some fly-by-night operation where we don't know where it comes from. If you can do that list of miracles, we know where you came from. You came from God. And so they had these things. We have other tokens today that we preach a message that comes from God. It's in the book of God. That book that the people we're talking to already had. Because when you ever run across a person doesn't have a Bible. But, and even if they don't have their own copy, it's easy enough to get one. But what do they know about that Bible? That's not something I wrote yesterday, right? That's not something you wrote to just to try and fool them. This is the historic document. And so we go to the trusted and historic document. See, say, this is what God has had all along. Let's go to it and let's see the freedom and let's see the forgiveness and let's see the reconciliation that's in there. So we have a different way to prove it's a message of God. But in the same way that they had proof it's a message from God, so do we. And we preach to them that kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as it says, this principle, which is still the same, as you freely received, freely give. You freely received, you freely give. What was one of the great problems with the bad shepherds of the old system? They used their knowledge of the things of God to take from others. 
They use their knowledge as a way to enrich themselves, right? And that was part of the bad shepherding. You feed yourself. You don't feed the flock. You lead the flock to fend for themselves. You don't stay with the flock. That was the indictment. And what must we do with those that we would teach and bring to Christ? Stay with them. Be concerned about them still. Not just, oh, we've added some to our group. All right, let's go try and, get, and wrangle in some more. No, we teach and we help. And Jesus says particularly, you need to know and they need to know that you're putting them above you. You're the messenger that's been freely given this. And if you want to participate in this, this is how you're going to have to be. Verse 9, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two tunics or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Now that's interesting. Don't get all this, but a worker's worthy of his support. So yeah, you can live on this. And what they feed you and what they give you, yes, use, eat, without feeling guilty. The shepherd gets to eat, right? But the shepherd doesn't get to fleece them all. And the shepherd doesn't get to cherry pick and just take the best for some and leave the uh, leftovers for others. So, Think about others as you do this above yourself. This is the kind of shepherds that Jesus was going to send out. Now, we also think about this shepherding work then. It's not just in the office that we call shepherds. Because here, these people need a shepherd. And what's the first thing he sends them? Teachers. Teachers. He sends them teachers. And so that's part of the care of the sheep. But then the permanent plan, yes, the permanent plan does have elders or shepherds. It does have that as its particular office. It also has with it preachers and teachers. So all of these things are doing this work, and the the elders or shepherds are overseeing it to make sure that the care is given. But all of us, to the degree we can teach others and bring them from that distressed and downcast state, we're doing some of the work that shepherds do. There's an overlap between that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, being an elder or a shepherd in the Lord's church, it's one of the reasons why teaching is required. Because teaching is a big part of it. And not just the shepherds teach, but the shepherds oversee the teaching. So Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave some as apostles. And these were this, and of course, we know that here Jesus sent out the twelve. Read another chapter over, he sends out the 70. So Jesus was preparing them and getting more ready to teach. And eventually, he'll have the apostles as the set group. And we read their names today when they were chosen as such. Then there were also the prophets. And there were evangelists. And there were pastors. And there were teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all obtain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so there's all these people participating in this equipping work, equipping the saints to serve. So then instead of being the distressed and downcast who needed to be rounded up, helped, and served, they then are strengthened to do what? Go and call others and bring them in and be of service to them. And so this is the continual plan to equip others to serve 
And we move from served to serving. We move from served to serving. We first, we help, we teach. In this, we put others first, just as Jesus did. So if we ever build our little sheep and shepherds, down, you know, down, people distressed and downcast with sheep without a shepherd, when we build that little scene and we see all these bedraggled people coming, we see Jesus coming, right? The chief shepherd. But if we're going to build out the full scene, we're going to need a lot more figurines because what's behind Jesus, the chief shepherd? A whole bunch of other shepherds following him in his path, coming to help this multitude. So we move then from served to serving. And the way we do that is come to truly help, help them, not ourselves, to teach them this way of Jesus, putting them first, using our good, good shepherd as the example. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.